Hi, well, welcome to this next edition of the Sales Transformation Podcast. I think this is the first where we've actually got um, members of the Consalia leadership team together to kind of reflect on the incredible journey that we've seen us and our clients go through over the last couple of years. But actually, more importantly, you know, what do we think of some of the surfacing themes for sales leaders to consider as they start to strategize and plan for next year? So I'm joined by Ian Helps and and Louise Sutton. Ian, uh, very much involved in our kind of consulting practice, but also climate change ambassador. And uh, Louise, who's head of the academy. So Ian, I'm going to start with you, um, if I if I could, as the sort of brains inside Consalia for frameworks and uh, approaches and. Uh, looking at this very much from the macro level. So, Ian, I wonder if you could maybe share some of your thoughts as to some of the things you think sales leaders are are looking at considering or how they need to think about, about next year and the future. I think we're at a in genuine inflection point in the world. There's a lot of very large environmental factors coming together at the same point. COVID is continuing with its impact. We've now got climate change with IPCC code red for humanity, COP26. Inflation is at six or 7% in the States. We've got the continuing march of AI and digitalization. So many things are hitting us at once. So my message to people is, we are now in a world that's unlike any that we've experienced before. Are you ready? So pretty, pretty meaty kind of topics you've just mentioned. Um, in, in terms of how organizations are responding to some of these sort of macro level challenges, what, what have you found from some of the clients you've been working with? What are they doing to kind of prepare themselves for the future? Definitely a connection to purpose. Um, if I go back to May of 2020, a survey was issued on how people's personal values have changed. Um, and at that time, it was clear that we care much more about people, humanity, our families, work-life balance than we ever did. 18 months on, it's still a surprise to organizations that that's what's causing Record resignations, 4.4 million people left jobs in the States in uh, September. In July to September this year, 979,000 people left their jobs through resignation, many of them through resignation in the UK. Organizations are reacting too slowly to some of these, but having a sense of purpose, having ways of supporting people as human beings, genuinely, genuinely human beings with things like hybrid work, working, with coaching, with mental health support. These are some of the up and coming topics that probably wouldn't have been on people's agenda to anything like the same extent even a year ago, let alone two or three. Mm. Um, that's interesting. And Louise, I know that, um, you know, we've spoken you know, recently about 
about some of the challenges we're seeing from uh, kind of a student perspective, particularly perhaps with some of the younger members joining uh, the apprenticeship programme. Be interested to know what you know how you're seeing things right now. Okay, thanks, Phil. Yeah, I, I think you know observations from the apprenticeship programmes are, are clearly so many of the apprentices, either the B2B sales professionals on the undergrad or the senior leaders on the on the postgrad, you know, they're, they're working from home. So whether they're leading, they're leading from home or whether they're working in their sales team, they're doing that from home. And some have started that hybrid mix, um, but more often than not, when we're talking to the apprentices, they're in their home environment. And I think for certainly for the younger ones, it, they've never been in an office they've not been some of them haven't been face to face to meet themselves as cohorts so you've got a generation of people in the workplace who've never worked in an office in a shared environment and i'm just really conscious that what they're missing on um missing out on is um the social learning that you get from hearing your colleagues from observing your colleagues um, those kind of background conversations that suddenly make you prick up your ears and you think, oh, hold on a minute, they're, they're actually dealing with a difficult customer and that's quite interesting how they're handling that and you learn from that conversation. And I'm, I'm just really conscious that there's a, an element of learning that some people are just not getting, that we just all took for granted as we started our careers and, and you know, on onwards. Um, so I think for me, there's a big thing about how can we help people, depending on what you know happens over the next few months, how do we help people to fill that gap in terms of the social learning and what people aren't getting? That's very much at the individual level, Phil, but that's what I'm observing yeah. through our apprentices. Yeah. No, it's interesting that, you know, there has been quite a lot of talk about, you know, some of the positive impacts of round productivity the fact we're able to work in this digital environment and you know we don't do so much traveling and commuting into the office but i think that uh, perhaps what is being surfaced by both uh, you know by by both you and andian is that there is another side to the coin you know it's, it yes uh, of course there's uh, improvements to be made in productivity but at what cost from a a mental health perspective and 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 so on um and also i, I mean this connects back to uh, perhaps also ian to the a great resignation topic that you mentioned you know to what extent in the pursuit of uh, i guess driven out of necessity but the you know the pursuit of the pressure to perform to succeed have, have organizations neglected uh, perhaps the I think, as you mentioned, the care and responsibility for people's welfare from a personal point of view. I think you talk to individual leaders, they're doing what they think they can. With what Louise has just said there, I think there's a good question. Is it enough? Is it actually enough? Um, people are resigning in many cases without jobs to go to. So it's a leaving from in many cases, more than are going to. So I'm not convinced that people will find it very different where they're going to. So a big responsibility of all of us is to up the sense of belonging in any organization. How do we up that sense of belonging in any way we see fit? And of course, we need performance. 
And if you like, part of what people are going to have to get even better at, sales leaders, is managing paradox. And um, how do you manage the paradox of very high performance, higher than you've ever had to do, and give people a sense of belonging? It can be done, and it will stretch sales leaders to new heights in terms of their ability to lead. I recall when we when we first sort of entered the unknown world of the pandemic, uh, when was it, 18 months ago, perhaps more now, that you addressed very early on this issue of, you know, keep sane and, you know, manage yourself well through this pandemic, learn new routines and so on. And, um, you know, delivered those series of workshops to many thousands of people, you know, around the world. I actually looked at it from a kind of business point of view um, in the sense, and I came up with this concept of the space curve, which some of the listeners may have heard on a previous podcast uh, on, but, you know, where the, the first challenge we faced was one of survival, and then we moved into this area of, in this new environment in which we're operating in, which suppliers do we need to, to, to look after, which customers do we need to look after, depending on which sector you're in, you know, some, some of the changes... Uh, were quite catastrophic, you know, particularly if you're in the leisure sector. And then once we kind of come to terms with the new normal, if there is such a word as a new normal, I know Louise has challenged me on, is there such a thing as normal in today's world? Yeah. <laughs> because things change so quickly. But um, we need to be agile and we need to think quickly. We need to be creative and... Uh, I think without question, we've seen evidence of organizations responding enormously quickly, you know, to the challenges that have taken place. But like you said, Louise, you know, there seems to be new things. And Ian, you mentioned that we, you know, talking about inflation and these other things that have kind of surfaced their heads in relatively recent times. It seems to be a constant stream of things, major things that are actually affecting the way we think. Ian, you mentioned earlier about um, people needing to get comfortable with change. And, and for me, Phil, that is just the constant, this state of constant flux and whatever's happened today will be different tomorrow. And, and for me, leaders just need to be looking around them and forwards and agile is the key word, but looking for new opportunities, but looking to see what's happening and what does that mean, you know, so that there's always this kind of... Um, checking in. So this is going on. What does that mean to what we're doing today? Because it's going to change tomorrow. And I just think agility is the, is the one thing and building, building resilience in the team to be able to cope with, with change and to also look for those opportunities and then to, to listen so that it isn't just the leader that's doing the, um, the forward looking. If you listen to the team and, 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 and see what they can see and let them share that, because it's so constant, it's so fast, you're going to miss something if it's just if you think it's just up to you. Mm. So to me, it also comes down to now working as a team and collaborating as a team and uh, and just sharing what is happening with your customers, you know, um, with your own team, you know, what, what's happening in your world so you can they can compare it and they can learn from that. So I don't really see see it as being a one person thing. For me, it's now you've got to work as a team. That's the way to to succeed, and um, and that's probably the the silver bullet that people can have if they can build on everything that everyone's observing and learning. 
I think one of the things that that I've been concerned about is, you know, coming back to this sort of innovation and creativity and working together as a team, is that the um, remoteness of work environments have, have been difficult to achieve that. I mean, mm. the, the, in my mind, there's, there's no doubt at all that when you, when you bring people together in a non-digital way, you know, back into the office space, you see those sparks of creativity that you simply don't get, you know, with scheduled Zoom calls and, and so on. You know, I've really enjoyed the fact that we've been able to get back, you know, to a, a more, if you like, normal kind of uh, environment. I don't know, Ian, if you've got any thoughts on, on that particular dimension. Yeah. Um... It's ironic, isn't it, that we've been talking here about the need for greater creativity. And yet what I see organizations, particularly sales organizations, have been brilliant at is running the machine, running the sales machine, a set of KPIs that the leadership and the operations team run the business to. I actually think we've got to the point now where a number of organizations are brilliant at measuring the wrong thing. And that's their challenge, to work out what we need to measure for the new era. Some organizations have started to do that with looking at the idea of leading indicators, what actually drives sales performance in the future. Others of them are experimenting, genuinely experimenting. And perhaps a word we're gonna hear or phrase we'll hear more of is psychological safety. Mm. Because what I see is when in this remote and hybrid working environment, when people try new things, if they aren't given a lot of space to operate with agility, as Louise said, that experiment doesn't go very far. They don't feel safe in working it to its conclusions. And yet we'd better try lots of innovation. Otherwise, someone else is going to take our business from us. And so that is a, one of these paradigm shifts that I think is going to have to happen. Yeah, I, th I think the comments you, you sort of made about the sort of relentless pressure that's been on salespeople to perform, you know, given, you know, the limitations, you know, sectors of the market, for example, where um, clearly the market has significantly shrunk, but sales targets have remained the same. And the pressure that's put on sales directors, sales leaders, salespeople has been absolutely massive. And I, I think that, um, it's at, at what cost, you know, at what cost to an organization is it that we still have those perhaps rather traditional approaches to sales leadership, sales management. You know, we kept the system running, but actually we need some kind of radical rethink of, of how we manage the sales force. And it, it sounds from what we're talking here, it's the human element is the thing that perhaps is going to service itself um, significantly as we look into next year, I'm sure there's going to be very interesting sort of psychological, you know, research studies done on on mental health as a consequence of the lost years, you know, that we perhaps have had living in this rather con constrained environment, slightly unreal environment that we've been living in. Um, so what do leaders therefore need to do? Maybe and they definitely need to do both. You know, they yeah. need to do the extraordinary performance, 
and they need to look after their people better than ever. Yeah. And that and means smarter working because every single sales leader I speak to is just flat out. What yeah. they're doing, though, is they're flat out on back-to-back -back calls, mm. yeah. which I would say is not modeling the behavior that's going to be successful going forward. But yeah. yes, you need to work hard and you need to give yourself space to think and reflect, step back, get a sense of perspective, try new things. And if you're 15 hours a day, five days a week on Zoom calls back to back, that is not the formula that's going to work for you longer term. Yeah, and that, that's what's going to lead to the extraordinary performance, Ian, isn't it? It's actually, it's just taking that step back and, and nurturing your team and nurturing the right behaviours in your team rather than the relentless calls. Um, but it's how do you manage that when the pressure is, is there so much? So it's, um, it is a catch-22, but that to me is how you're going to get the extraordinary performance by looking after the team, by engaging the team. That's going to lead to... Uh, greater productivity and that will then lead to the you know the profitability so you've got to have the the, the leader is the kind of the, the the silver bullet to me to build the team and the behaviors they want role modeling them so you can't be on calls back to back for 15 hours because how can you talk to your team how can you coach your team if you're doing that and therefore how can you expect them to um, question what they're doing and look at ways to improve what they're doing if they're not being coached. So mm. the, the leader has to make that time to bring out that extraordinary performance that you've talked about within the team. I mean, we're, we're, we're all very familiar with uh, Professor Julian Birkinshaw. You know, and he talks about the post-knowledge era and ad hocracy and links very much with agility. And we have emocracy building the emotional attachment, in, in, in his words, to the brand. I just wonder, you know, he, he developed that theory uh, without the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, being around. I just wonder if we were to look at what is the source of competitive advantage as we start to look to the future, is there anything we would add perhaps to the work that Julian Birkinshaw has done and I know I'm putting us under the spot here because we haven't really sort of given it that much thought but I think there is something you know you could say democracy you could bend that word maybe to cover the emotional connection we have with people that work for us um, the purpose-led account planning purpose-led organizations perhaps that's speaking to that word you know perhaps it's covered um, but I just wonder whether there might be an underlying something that we haven't yet put on the agenda, uh, not put on the agenda, haven't yet surfaced in terms of this connection with competitive advantage that's covered in those two words. Yeah, I'd say we are beyond the post-knowledge era. As already. Described it. Yeah, already. <laughs> and I don't quite know what one would call it. I think it's almost like post-established status quo and who knows what we call it but actually when we look back things were changing pretty slowly compared with how they are now it's the step that's happened in so many environmental factors all at once that few of us are prepared for and not only that we don't few of us have the tools to work out what to do with it so you know what do you need in this new era you need to be brilliant at lots of things you probably haven't developed in yourself. 
because you didn't have the need for it in the in let's call it the pre 2020 era so i would actually put louise's agility uh the massive ability to learn era mm. actually if i really want to go controversial i go the right brain era i would definitely go right brain i would say it's the era if you look at the brain left brain is about the explicit the measurement the um performance setting goals the right brain is much is traditionally associated much more with reason and strategy and empathy i think the balance between left and right brain is going to shift much more to using our right brain not just going after performance yeah it's interesting but, isn't it lifelong learning has kind of come in again as that phrase and i think you're you're right ian in thinking about the right brain the left brain the, the you know the, the, the right brain era perhaps but for me it is about that source of uh, competitive advantage is is embracing uncertainty and just embracing learning and um ready to take whatever happens not really planning too far ahead because there's no point so let's just do short-term mm. goals let's um but let's keep learning let's keep looking for what might make the difference and staying ahead of the competition but i i think we're rather you know, one of the great themes that we've had in the last two or three years has been uh, related to digital transformation. And I, I think, we, you know, we mustn't lose sight of that, that many organizations, even rather more sort of traditional manufacturing organizations, have actually used the last few years to accelerate um, the digital transformation. And this is, this is also linked back to data and a, a, about how we use information to help better plan, maybe better predict the future. So I wonder whether it, it is just right brain. I wonder whether there is kind of some pretty important left brain stuff that we could kind of tune into that actually helps us make better decisions because, you know, companies are, are getting a lot more data than they ever had before. Yeah. And, and I know that we've got some clients who, at the forefront, aren't they, of, of sort of data analytics. And I don't know what you think about that. So I, I'm not sure it is just about democracy. I think it, it's also how we make sense of the amazing information that we now have with, with, with an audience where people are kind of much more open to the idea of, of digital. You know, the consumers are much more you know, mm. uh, uh, open to it. So I'll, I'll stop on that point. Yeah, you know, look, we're in an era where artificial intelligence outperforms experts in many fields. You can look at radiography, it can spot things that the human can't reliably see. So yeah, the right brain era is deliberately controversial. When we look at what sales organizations and their ops teams spend a lot of time on, it's data and it's analysis. My question is, why spend so much time looking back in the rearview mirror? Mm. You know, you've got AI and digital that can do a way better job than you can. So get your systems working so that the computer can do what the computer's good at, serve up the data, issue the reports, and then you focus on what you're good at, which is the human bit that, frankly, AI, certainly in my lifetime, will never get to, which is ultimately associated with the use of the conscious mind in some way or other. Mm. 
Um, so I think it's both, Phil. You're right to pull us back. It is both. And it's lean less on um, you running the numbers. Let the machine do it. It's better than you are. So if we take that that sort of um, kind of scenario where we've got a lot more data, quicker, faster, we've got information that can help us better, maybe predict, you know, the future, measuring the right things, um, uh, not not the wrong things. I think you alluded to that at, at, at the very beginning. And we then think of the role of a sales leader. And if we are going to, I don't know if we can come up with a kind of metaphor or a, a kind of an image of what that would be. And I was talking to someone recently about this, and he said that um, someone who was in sales operations and dealing with the data, and he said that for him, the, 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 the sales leader of the future is a bit like the conductor of an orchestra, you know, that he is able to kind of leverage the resources around the organization or with partners or with, you know, with suppliers in order to play the best tune. Um, and as we know, with every great conductor of an orchestra, they're able to take a sheet of music and interpret it in, in, in their own particular way and get incredible, you know, performance from the players in that respect. And I don't know what you think about this image of, you know, is the, is the role of the sales leader kind of changing given the new environment in which many are now operating in? So um, I remember uh, when we had a call with Carl Day recently, Phil, and he said something which really um, stuck with me. And he said, your team performance is judged by numbers, but you don't have to lead by numbers. And I think that's kind of what Ian's was also saying, and that's where I think that we're moving towards that you know, let the numbers emerge from the system or from your AI, but the team, um, the leader can then decide what to do with that. And, and it's the strategy and the innovation. So like, that's the starting point. Whereas before the starting point used to be, let's get the numbers in the system, guys, make sure you're forecasting, make sure you're doing uh, reporting everything as accurately as you can and focusing on that. Now it's assuming that that data's captured correctly and it's it's being cranked away. And then what are you going to do with it? It's, so it's about the strategy and it's about the innovation. And you talk about the space curve and, you know, Ian alluded to people stepping back and thinking and reflecting. And that's where the magic happens now. It's kind of, it's it's going to happen when they look at that and think, okay, just actually look at that cell in the spreadsheet look at that cell in the report that's that's an anomaly that they might have missed but you've got to have the time you've got to have the brain that looks at that to ask the right questions or you coach to ask the right questions if you're going through the data with one of your team but for, for me it's about it is about critical reflection it is about space it is about thinking time um because probably that's what your competition isn't doing and that's where you're going to get the advantage. Um, but I do think it's you don't have to lead by numbers. You lead through um, developing your people and bringing out the very best in your people. The only thing I'd add is in a world of very high movement in AI and GPT-3 and the ability to pass massive, massive 
data sets and make sense and even predict because you've got AI now that can compose songs, can do poetry, do almost anything to some level, can even draw pictures. I think we're moving to a world where the data will be interpreted mm. by um, the system. It won't just be numbers anymore. It will be giving you the story of the numbers for you then to do something with. Um, so I think it, it, what does it do? It fundamentally changes the role of a sales leader, I believe. In most organizations, sales is asked to execute the go-to-markets, the comp plans. In some senses, the strategy is set somewhere else by someone else. I think with what Louise has said there and what you've alluded to, Phil, we're moving to a world where the sales leader themselves has the data, the insight. They're speaking to customers. They're speaking to their team. We're moving where the strategy gets set much closer to the customer, which means the sales leaders are going to have to up their game. We all will in order to make our organization successful, because if you just let it bubble up to the central groups it'll be too slow too late and your company may go out of business and you know there's something about um we're talking here about managing change within their own organization but all of the customers are going through their own change too so that's why you know your orchestration maybe comes in phil you just got to keep um you know figuring every pie what's going on and what could impact anyone in your team or in your organization or in the sector because it's not just your environment anymore you've got to be looking around you um ahead of you all the time that to me is the big thing it's 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 this world of flux that ian talked about at the very beginning but it's everywhere and um and even with the ai and with the rules that are programmed in they might need to change so your interpretation is based on where did that how did that data get manipulated and produced and is that are those assumptions right now you know so there's going to have to be always that mm -hmm. fresh as well i think that's what's so for me you just got to look at the data and yes maybe there's an answer that comes through the algorithm but you need to question that as well and check that you think it's the right algorithm that's that's there very interesting, actually. I feel I feel as though that we're, we've explored some really interesting topics and and themes. I feel this is a conversation that could potentially continue because I'd quite like to synthesize this information into into something. I, I quite like the idea of, of of going back to Julian Birkinshaw's model and actually questioning it like we've begun to do and, and maybe taking some of the themes from this podcast and summarizing those into what we what we believe to be, you know, a framework for the future. Um, Ian and Louise, are there, are there any things you think we haven't touched upon that, or things that, you know, do you have a sense that this is something that could be shaped into something interesting? Sure, I just think it's interesting, isn't it? We started at the very beginning thinking about the well-being of individuals yeah. and, and We've suddenly come to this point where we're very much, um, you know, concluding with the all the benefits of artificial intelligence and what that means to leading teams. But I always think it comes down to the people. Yeah, but I think that that will be one of the themes, you know, that that probably needs to be there, isn't it? Yeah. 
you know, from, again, I 100% agree, you know, with, with, with what we discussed at the beginning. I was going to say, I actually honestly believe we're in a new era. Yeah. And that yeah. era, who can remember an era when we were short of salespeople across the piece? Mm. Yeah. Now, organizations are fighting for salespeople now. I've, I've spoken to 20 plus sales leaders who are all short of headcount. Every single one of them, except mm. for two organizations. And those two organizations both told me, and they had credible information, they have the pick of la creme de la creme in sales and marketing, actually in any function. They both happen to be in climate change, both of them. Mm. They can pick and choose. Now, not every organization is going to climate change, but there's something there about real purpose. People needing real purpose now, not just blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so I think it's it may sound philosophical, but it's actually mission critical. Unless you put in some things that are genuinely going to want to make your people stay, you're actually going to have a major risk of missing your numbers, missing your sales numbers in 2022, because you can't keep enough people all at once in your organization. You've got a leaky bucket for people. And when have we ever been in that world before? Mm. Did you say leaky yeah. bucket? Yeah, <laughs> it's a leaky bucket. The analogy is you have a, a bucket of people, a number of people, and then the the bucket is leaking people. So yeah. you, people yeah. are kind of leaking out the bottom. <laughs> the reaction is pay people more, recruit faster. Wrong answer, because the bucket will just leak faster. So what you've got to do is actually ask and help people to stay. Mm. that's when mm. you start to solve it mm. well let's uh spend some time thinking about what that might look like i quite like the idea of extending julian's work uh with our own point of view on it yeah that was that was really interesting so what's your selling approach like are you selling in a way that your customers want to be sold to from our research only 10 percent of salespeople sell in a way that customers want but what do customers want when they're being sold to? It's no secret that here at Consalia, we've embedded the sales values and mindsets that customers want to see in salespeople into everything we do, from our sales business school through to our sales transformation offering. So how do you know whether or not you've got them? We have a very simple mindset survey to see if you possess these key values. It's really straightforward to use, it will only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll be sent your results straight after. You may be just a bit surprised at the results yourself. Check out the show notes at the end of this podcast episode. What you do with the results next is your choice. We're happy to dive deeper into these results to discuss what they mean, or even explore the idea of finding out if your customers see these key values in your approach.